Welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship for all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together with gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. Greetings and welcome back to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. My name is Justin Schell and I'm your host. We're so glad that you have joined us for this conversation today. We pray that all that we do here in the Reformation Fellowship encourages you, strengthens you, enables you to go and enjoy God and to bear fruit that lasts. So thank you for joining us. Today's episode is going to feature a conversation with Dr. Michael Haken, and we are going to zero in on his new book out with Union Publishing called Iron Sharpens Iron, subtitled Friendship and the Grace of God, and uh, you won't get many spoilers in the conversation. In many ways, we want to take the fruits of the book and start to ask, how can those inform the church today? How can what what Dr. Haken found in his research um, that's so wonderfully represented in the book, how can that start to uh, help especially pastors today, but all Christians today, press into meaningful gospel friendship uh, and, and bear the fruit of that in our personal lives and in our ministry? Uh, I, I know for me, one of the, the great takeaways from the conversation is just seeing how much uh, deep friendship, uh, deepening relationships with other like-minded, like-hearted Christians um, didn't, on, doesn't only encourage us, but it actually makes us more fruitful in our ministry, that there is a missional edge to friendship, that somehow, uh, by God's grace, the gospel is more likely to go out from us in, uh, in wonderful and powerful ways when we are together, when we are nurturing these kinds of relationships. So without further ado, we're going to turn our attention to that conversation with Dr. Haken now. Dr. Haken, thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Uh, just for those of our listeners who may not may not know you very well. Give us, uh, besides maybe what's on, on your bio online, what are, what's one or two things that, um, that listeners should know about you? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, Sorry to spring that on you. Yeah, not a problem. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, my, my bio lists where I was born. I, I grew up in a, uh, an Irish Catholic home. And um, those roots are pretty, pretty important to me in terms of the mm -hmm. ethnicity. Um, so if you were to ask me, you know, what, how, how do I, what do I see myself? Well, very much as an Irish Canadian. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, my father was uh, Kurdish, but he pretty well completely embraced my mother's culture. So um, really kind of grew up, as I said, in an Irish context and, knew very little about my father's background. Mm. Um, another interesting point, my father was a Muslim. Um, and uh, when I was born, and I wouldn't have known uh, anything about that until I was in my late 20s, which was 
really unusual. Um, he just kind of really kind of tried to uh, forget that part of his life and uh, to the point that it it uh, really, you know, I, I just assumed he was, I mean, I knew he was Kurdish, but I assumed he was a raised in a nominal Christian home, um, but knew nothing about that that part of his, of his life. Don't have many hobbies. Uh, if my family could function as a hobby, I don't know if that's the appropriate way of describing it. And so in one sense, uh, my kind of bio is a bit mundane. Nothing exciting in that uh, bio in some ways. Um, anyway, those are a couple of things anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for sharing with us. So I won't I won't torture you with any more kind of um, off the topic questions. Instead, uh, we'll, we'll turn our attention to our first uh, conversation. We get you for more than one, but our, this first one, we're talking about your new book, Iron Sharpens Iron. And I thought we'd just start off with um, asking, why did you write the book? Why Iron Sharpens Iron? Well, the book is about friendship and the, the passage, the, the title comes from that passage in the Proverbs that um, one friend uh, encourages another as iron sharpens iron. Um, I, I did it. I wrote it because, of, well, two reasons. One is I have a longstanding interest in friendship and there are probably uh, personal reasons that kind of ground that. But it's something that has been very, very important to me in my whole life. Um, I, I see at the heart of the the Christian endeavor, as it were, um, friendship is central. Um, I think I could argue that in the history of the church, that there's really never been a really great work of God without a circle of friends. Um, so mm. Paul, for instance, Paul's mission, the Pauline mission, is, 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 is intimately linked to the Pauline circle, the circle of friends around Paul. Mm. Um, this would be true of Calvin. Um, true of Wilberforce, the Clapham sect, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, church history, I think, has, has pulled me this way, as well as uh, personal interests. But uh, another reason for it is because I, I really think that um, our, our culture is starved uh, for friendship. Uh, the modern, modern modernity and modern life uh, are not helpful for the mm. development of friends. And yeah. uh, by that, I mean they, the, the development of friends demands time. And our culture is, 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 is a busy, 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 busy culture. And mm. the kind of leisure that friendship requires uh, is not really afforded by our culture in many ways. And um, uh, at the, I, th I think essential for our growth as Christians are friends and friendships, uh, people who can speak into our lives uh, to encourage and sometimes to rebuke um, who we trust. And um, hence the, in my mind, the, the need for cultivating uh, biblical friendships. Maybe the, the flip side of that, or just to go a little deeper in that, um, what have you observed, particularly in the church that makes you think uh, this is this is a struggle that we really need to address. Well, you know, in terms of personal experience, so my wife and I were in a church for about twenty years, and I remember at a certain point, my wife said to me, um, 
I have virtually no friends in this church. You know, here, here's a congregation we've been fellowshipping with at that point for probably about 12 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that was, that was, you know, a real concern to me. Yeah. And um, when I mentioned it to somebody in leadership at the church, uh, they were, they, 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 they said they were astonished. They thought we're, we're a very friendly church. Mm. Um, but there was a reality here that somebody in their congregation, um, despite the fact that we had been there for such a length of time, um, I was an elder at one point, um, really didn't, hadn't cultivated uh, significant friendships. And it, uh, I mean, maybe some of the blame was, my, was upon my wife, but I, I didn't think so. Otherwise, I wouldn't have raised it as a concern. You know, in speaking with, with, with Christians, this is, this is an issue that comes up again and again if you ask the question. And I'm, sometimes I think maybe people aren't aware that they just don't have the, the friendships that they need as Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is particularly true for men. Um, uh, I think for a variety of reasons, the way that uh, being a man has developed in our culture, um, I think has prohibited them or prevented them. Prevented them is probably a better word there uh, from developing just uh, robust friendships. Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, a couple of reasons uh, why I think the church needs to address this. Uh, theological reasons, you know, the, the whole fulfillment of one another, you know, bear one another's mm-hmm. burdens, uh, pray for one another, uh, forgive one another, um, etc. I mean, how, how, can, how can that be done without significant friendships? Mm-hmm. And um, I think year, it was years ago I read uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together which is not so much a story about a book about friendship per se, but about, um, about living together as believers in a, a Christian community. But obviously it, it bears on this subject. Mm-hmm. And in some ways it kind of spoiled me because, or set me up for disappointment because it, it sets such a high standard mm-hmm. of what he feels a Christian community could, should be. I, I've been frustrated by a lot of church life in one sense, uh, because you 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 know you, you is church simply going to a place where you worship together on a particular day of the week and that's it? Um, is there not more to being a Christian and to Christian community? And so, so that also was an impetus for for writing the book. Yeah, you know, here um, a friend was leading a community group at his church, and he kept talking about deepening relationships with one another in that community and at one point uh one of the participants in the in the community group stopped him and said wait are are we talking about church relationships or real relationships Uh, almost as if um those church relationships aren't aren't real relationships or the friendships we develop at church are just something to be kept there or maybe something you did there that that can help with certain parts of life but they're not really real relationships have you have you encountered that kind of thought at all yeah not put that exactly that way Uh, that's 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's pretty un unfiltered. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, that uh, that is yeah that that puts yeah, but that that little anecdote there puts it puts it goes right to the heart of the issue that I'm talking about. Yeah. In some ways, probably categorizes the the the, the problem that my wife my wife and I discovered in, in the yeah. that particular church. Well, let's um let's look a little bit at at the book you you do introduce us to some friendships there uh, could you maybe just pick one of those and uh almost as a as a preview of the book but really uh, wet our appetites with what what friendship what christian friendship um can be what it what it has looked like um and the fruits of it yeah, probably the, the central friendship in, that I talk about in the book is the relationship between uh, a man named Andrew Fuller and John Ryland Jr. Mm -hmm. um, Andrew Fuller was a, they were both Baptists. Um, Andrew Fuller was uh, born in 1754. He died in 1815. Uh, Ryland was born in um, 1753, died in 1825. And... Um, uh, they were part of a group of Baptists known as the Particular Baptists in England. Uh, they met one another in their early 20s, um, Fuller not long after his conversion and called to pastoral ministry. Um, Ryland had been converted as a very young child and um, uh, was in a church where his father was the pastor, John Ryland Sr., or John Collett Ryland. John Collett Ryland is often remembered for one conversation. Uh, he's the gentleman who rebuked William Carey, mm -hmm. um, who, when he raised the question of overseas cult cross-cultural missions, uh, told Carey, sit down, young man, when God, completes, when God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. That's the anecdote anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's Ryland Sr., uh, Ryland Jr. actually baptized William Carey, and both Fuller and Ryland Jr. were very, very close uh, to William Carey. Yeah. Um, they met one another as they were formulating their theological convictions. Um, they were drawn to each other because they had the, the same concern for revival, uh, renewal of the Baptist denomination. The Baptist denomination was in the, um, to put it mildly, the doldrums. Um, Fuller once said, if, if God had not appeared for them in revival, uh, they would have been a little better than a dunghill in society, which is pretty strong. He, he came from a farming background and that imagery kind of maybe uh, came readily to his mind. Hmm. Um, so, uh, Fuller and Ryland, uh, would have met each other in, when they were both in their early twenties, uh, they shared similar concerns. They had a delight in the same Theological authors, both of them were uh, deeply devoted to reading uh, the works of Jonathan Edwards. Edwards was really a mentor to them in many ways. Mm. Um, Fuller, uh, Fuller would become a leading apologist of his day, uh, probably the leading Baptist apologist in defense of not so much uh, into, uh, the specific Baptist convictions, but evangelical convictions. Mm. Um, so he writes the definitive Baptist response to um, uh, deism, um, 
Socinianism, which is now what we call Unitarianism, mm-hmm. um, um, antinomianism. Uh, Ryland was um, initially a, a pastor with his father, and then the the principal uh, of the the only Baptist seminary uh, in the United Kingdom at the time, which was in Bristol, Bristol Baptist Academy. Um, so it's really the, the story of their friendship in some, uh, there are other things obviously touched upon. I have a general overview of the subject of friendship, uh, you know, over 1800 years prior to them. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, two or three of the chapters relate to their friendships um, uh, with each other and then with others. Um, John Ryland, despite having a, a godly Christian father, their temperaments clashed. And the younger Ryland found himself often unable to understand his father or even communicate with his father properly. And as a young man in his teens, uh, he struck up a friendship with John Newton, uh, Mm -hmm. Amazing Grace John Newton. Mm -hmm. Um, And Newton became a mentor. So I have a chapter on on Newton and Ryland's friendships. Um, And then uh, a chapter on a friendship that went south, as it were. Uh, Andrew Fuller and a man named Edward Sharman um, mm. who became an opponent of the gospel, really. Um, they began as friends and then Sharman fell away into Unitarianism, denied the deity of Christ, denied the Trinity, and um, wrote uh, wrote a, a book against Fuller. Fuller never replied to it. But um, uh, so we, we look at a friendship that uh, didn't flourish and why that might have been. Yeah. Well, when you think of then uh, we we get to see these ministers, these gospel ministers, uh, friendships beginning and progress. And um, what do you hope maybe if let's say I'm a pastor and I pick up Iron Sharpens Iron to read it today, what what's your hope for the pastor who may read Iron Sharpens Iron? Well, I think if um, he has friends, if he is blessed with close friends, that it would it would enable him to realize the preciousness of that and the necessity of that for the sanctity of his own soul and his own life. And uh, even even in our world today, sanity. Mm. Um, um, you know, it, it, it was a advice that was given to pastors in the generation before mine you know, that they shouldn't have friends in the congregation, for instance, and um, mm. um, that that is uh, just uh, not, a, not, not, not really need, not, not, not that it was not needed, but it was, it's not wise. And mm. I just hope that pastors, because <clears throat> I think this is vital for a pastor to have men with whom he can share in confidence and pour his soul in, into their lives and, and like vice versa. Um, that, that if he has such friends, it would encourage him um, to, to, to take the time and put the energy into maintaining those friendships. Um, mm-hmm. If he doesn't have friends, like the way I described them in, in, the, in the book, uh, that he would pray to God that God would bring into his life such people. Now, obviously, the, these sort of deep friendships, you're, you're not going to have tons and tons of them. So the very idea, you know, on Facebook, you've got these Facebook friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways, that's a travesty. 
of what, what I'm talking about. I, I don't deal with that in the book, but it strikes me now that, you know, here, here's the, here's the usage of the term, you know, friends on Facebook. Well, you know, half of these people, you don't even know, they, they just see your, your posts and all. Oh, I'd like to have an inside track to, to those. And they ask to be linked to your, your uh, Facebook page and you now become a friend. Well, like, really? I mean, <laughs> uh, so I think we've, 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 we're in a world where, uh, and in fact, you know, on some of these Facebook, uh, some of these Facebook friends might even be what we call trolls. Who basically they're they're hostile to you, and uh, anytime you post something, they're they're negative, um, and so the term the term has been almost completely evacuated of of um, historical what it has meant historically and what does it meant what it means biblically, um, and so my encouragement then is that through the book, uh, pastors would be encouraged to maintain such friendships, or if they do not have such, that they would. Pray to God that they would, they God would give them such. Mm. I I love that. I and I, I think of um, my friends who are pastors, and the I've I've heard them repeat some of the uh, you know that bad advice that that you heard as well. The um, I'm not supposed to have friends in in my own congregation, or or when they think about relationships with other pastors in town. Because so often ministries, churches are see each other more as competitors than as friends in the gospel. Uh, there's a real hesitancy to reach out and, and try to begin uh, some type of pastoral fellowship or, or a place where pastors can encourage each other. Are you... Have you seen that done well in in your area, or um, just maybe through some of your students? How are you seeing uh, that play out in a in a healthy, happy way that's bearing fruit that maybe we could learn a little bit from? Yeah, I'm not sure of your question here. Are you asking? Uh, have I seen the sort of friendships that I'm encouraging in the book uh, actually being fleshed out in people's lives? that I know. Um, that, and is there, uh, do you see groups that are intentionally trying to foster the, this kind of pastoral friendship fellowship in maybe their cities or areas? Um, yes and no. Um, I think of one group of uh, Baptist ministers in Toronto that I know about that, you know, most of these men have retired from ministry. There's a, it's probably about five or six men and um, they've kind of developed a circle of friends that have continued to meet regularly. Um, I only know about it by, by um, hearsay, as it were, um, and I, I'm not sure that's the appropriate term there. But um, so I don't know how deep of friendships these these men have. Mm -hmm. um, I know of one or two other groups. Um, one that is uh, significantly shaped by Mark Dever and his understanding of uh, church life and uh, you know the nine marks kind of deal and. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, they have regular 
get-togethers. This is a circle of, of pastors. And uh, I'm assuming that I'm, I'm not part of that. I'm not a pastor per se, but uh, I'm assuming that they, they have this experience of these, these friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, certainly I know of one or two others, uh, not so much in my area, but in other parts of North America where you have these circle of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think there is a growing recognition in uh, Christian circles of, of this need. Um, and I think it is, I think that the, the stress there is on the word growing because in the 20th century, um, friendship was hardly a topic to be discussed amazingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I know that? Well, um, again, this is somewhat anecdotal, but um, finding books on friendship is, was like pulling tens teeth. I remember uh, as I began to be interested in, in as, as in, a, academically as well as personally, but academically about the history of friendship. Um, uh, and I've collected books on friendship in this before the 19, 1990s, 1980s, 1990s, uh, it, it's hard to find any books. And then in the last little while, there's been a number of, of books written on this subject uh, from a historical academic point of view. And so I, I, can only, I can only surmise that this was not you know, a, a central concern on the horizon of church life. And um, now one hopes that despite that there had, there were flourishing friendships and I, I'm sure there were, mm-hmm. but it certainly wasn't something that people saw uh, to press. And then you, in fact, you, as you note, there was the opposite. Um, this pastor, uh, I remember being told that there was a Christian educator who was a very prominent figure in, in, in the area where I live, uh, who advised his students, um, do not develop friendships among your parishioners. Mm. Um, and I remember one, one Christian educator went, 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 went one step further and he I remember him saying to me, um, you know, I, you know, I, he said, I, I don't advise that, but I also advise you don't, you don't, if you're a pastor, you don't have fellow pastors as your friends because they'll simply use the information you tell them or whatever you tell them and reveal, uh, to, to stab you in the back. And I'm thinking, mm. this is absolutely bizarre. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I was horrified. Yeah. Uh, I didn't say anything at the time, but that just horrified me. Yeah. Mm. You had mentioned that one of the things that maybe a pastor who is who who sees the need, but maybe they're wondering, is this worth the time and the effort? Um, help us understand how. Uh, how some of the 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 ministries the lives were impacted uh, in the past through these kinds of friendships that we, that we hear about in your book. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think very much this is worth your time and effort. Um, so uh, theological developments, your, your development theologically um, mm-hmm. is, is you, you need, you need people in your life um, whom you trust, really you trust implicitly who will tell you where they think you're wrong theologically or uh, none of us, none of us um, as we grow as Christians um, ever reach a point where we can't learn more. Mm. 
Um, but I, I do think that, that particularly pastors, men who make their living by teaching and speaking, uh, aren't always the best listeners. And, um, and it might be difficult sometimes for pastors to, to um, um, take advice and uh, uh, et cetera. And yeah, they, they desperately need somebody to speak into their lives mm -hmm. um, that they trust, who they, they know has their best interests at heart. And so I, I really, you know, I'm very convinced that this is, this is, this is vital for a theological development it's vital for your own personal sanctification um, that um, your life to, to a degree be transparent to a friend so that if he sees areas where he thinks you're, you're running into danger, uh, he can say so. Um, you know, I, I have a very good friend um, who was a student and um, Recently, I, there were certain things that he was doing, not wrong per se, but I didn't think were helpful. And um, I, I told him so. I, I, I said, I don't think that course of action is, is going to be fruitful for you. And in fact, the opposite. Mm. And um, uh, we, we need people like that. Uh, obviously, if we're married, then our spouse has to be the, the first person uh, that uh, speaks into our lives that way. But I think it is helpful for, for men, pastors here, as we're talking about, to have male friends who can speak into their lives as well. Yeah. So uh, personal sanctification, growth in Christ, uh, people to pray together, people to share together. Um, uh, and uh, theological growth. Mm -hmm. As I said, I, I, uh, the idea that, you know, uh, once you've been a Christian 10 years, you've got it all together, you know, as a Christian leader. Well, that, that just isn't the case. Yeah. Well, that's right. So personal, uh, personal theological character, um, just uh, someone who sh shares your burdens with you, who yep. un understand uh, the kinds of challenges you go through, for instance, during a pandemic when everyone in the church, 50% of the body is going to disagree with everything you, uh, every decision you make because uh, the wider culture is so influenced um, Christians. Uh, it's good to have someone who, who also is walking through that or has walked through that. Um, mm. You mentioned how so often in the past, these groups, they were, they were personally fruitful for those involved, but they also seem to become fruitful for the wider church. And uh, particularly you mentioned mission. And I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how, how you connect uh, friendship with um, with the work that that the Lord does a little more broadly than just in the life of a pastor or or the laity. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, for instance, as I said, I 
and I, I, I began to realize that because my own, I have a real interest in friendship, I began to realize that the sort of individuals in the history of the church that I was drawn to study, both academically, but also personally and spiritually, uh, were, were men who had circles of friends. Mm. Um, and I, I, I didn't notice this probably initially, but probably about 10 years into my teaching, I began to realize the reason why I was very interested in Basil of Caesarea, for example, he, I did my doctoral work on him, was because mm. of a circle of friends, um, mm. uh, some of them well-known, Gregory Anissa, Gregory Nazianzus, uh, some of them not so well-known, Amphilochius of Iconium, um, and then a, a, a figure who is somewhat shadowy because we have virtually nothing written by him, uh, Eusebius of Samosata, who I've done a recent study of, of his friendship with Basil, and um, Basil was involved in a really a theological battle for the defense. He was a key defender of the deity of the Holy Spirit, his defense of the deity of the Holy Spirit in a book called On the Holy Spirit, uh, which was published in 375 or issued in 375, becomes a central vehicle for the uh, statement at the Council of Constantinople in 381. And the third article of the Nicene Creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, uh, etc. Mm -hmm. um, that statement didn't exist in the Nicene Creed prior to the council. And Basil's book played a key role in shaping the thought of the council. Um, his brother, actually, Basil had died in 379. And his brother, um, Gregory Nyssa, was a leading figure at the council. And Le Gregory had drunk deeply at his brother's the well of his brother's pneumatology. And, um, uh, but in the background to all this was Eusebius of Samosata. And we have 19 letters of Basil to Eusebius. And it's very, very evident that Eusebius highly, highly appreciated uh, this man's um, uh, friendship, his impact on his life. Uh, Eusebius was a generation older than Basil. Eusebius was probably born around 300, Basil born around 329. Um, Eusebius might have been born as late as 310. Um, and he was a bishop. Uh, Samosata was on the border of the Roman Empire and the, the Persian Empire to the east, the Sassanid Empire. And um, um, it was probably about 350 miles from where Basil lived in Caesarea, in the heart of the Turkish highlands. And yet they, they, they saw one another on occasion. Um, Eusebius made a special trip to Samosata when Basil <clears throat> was uh, ordained as the bishop of Caesarea. And uh, Basil never forgot that. Uh, just the, the time spent together in prayer, theological discourse, mm -hmm. uh, the impact that Eusebius had upon the congregation as a whole. Um, and so I, I, my conclusion was that Basil you know, I had, what was amazing was this, was I had done a doctoral thesis on Basil's work on the Holy Spirit and um, how he defended the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, uh, the deity of the Spirit. But I didn't, I, I hardly did any study of their friendship. And if I were doing that thesis now, I would include a whole chapter on mm. how their friendship was absolutely central to Basil's staying the course because one of his closest, another close friend, Eustathius of Sebast, uh, ended up 
um, breaking friendships, breaking his friendship over the issue of the deity of the spirit. Eustadius refused to call the Holy Spirit God mm. and refused to acknowledge his deity. And that friendship just shattered Basil. Um, mm. And it was Eusebius. Uh, Basil compares Eusebius at one point. He says, you have been in my life like Moses, uh, standing uh, with the battle of the Ammonites, um, or Amalekites, mm. sorry, uh, where you, you stood and your hands were held up in prayer yeah. for me. And that was one of the highest compliments that Basil could, could give to a friend because um, both he and his brother Gregory Nyssa saw Moses as a, as, a, as a model of pastoral ministry. Whether they were right or wrong is neither here nor there. But they saw Moses as a model of pastoral ministry, particularly his prayer life. Mm. And um, so Eusebius was, Eusebius's friendship behind the, the scenes of Basil's publicly wrestling with this broken friendship and defending the deity of the spirit, despite uh, his friend's refusal to confess the deity of the spirit. Uh, behind all of that is this other friendship with Eusebius for Basil, um, which enables Basil uh, to, to write this book, which mm -hmm. has been one of the most important books in the history of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. It reminds me of uh, the, you know, those who stood with Wilberforce, for instance. Yep. Um, <laughs> helping him not to back down, but to stay, stay the course. We, uh, we may know that story. We may know, uh, you know, maybe less ministry focused, but of the inklings and their, their relationship yep. to encourage yep. uh, one another in their, their writings. And um, but there's just, it's, it does seem like the more you look at church history, the more you see this history of friendships. Yep. Uh, whether yep, it's very much so. Yeah. Whether it's Augustine's little group yep. traveling with him to obviously Calvin's Geneva, uh, to uh, the Wittenberg Five and, and so on. Just so many, so many stories. Well, Dr. Hagen, thank you so much for giving us some of your time to talk about friendship. Um, listeners, I hope you will find a copy of Iron Sharpens Iron and uh, you get to go deeper into these themes and some of these stories that we've been talking about. But again, Dr. Hagen, thank you for joining us and we're looking forward to having you back next week on another episode of the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We pray that this time together has been a blessing to you. The Reformation Fellowship is a ministry of union. And so all that we do, we hope it helps you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. If that is your hope, that is your desire, then friends, welcome to the fellowship.